Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, happy Palm Sunday to everyone. Let's try that again. Hey, so listen, if you've never been with us before here at City Church, all last year we looked at the kingdom of God, what is it? This year we're looking at the kingdom of God, how do you live in it? And you learn that by looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And so what we've been doing as church family is we've been processing through the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus goes up on a mountain and he casts a vision for a new kingdom and a new people. And then the rest of the gospel is about what does it look like when you live out that kingdom? So he announces the kingdom, then he goes up on a mountain, casts vision for the kingdom, we call that Sermon on the Mount, and then he walks it out for the rest of the gospel to model for us what does it look like to live in the kingdom of God. Now in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uploads to us the kingdom prayer. Some of us know it as the Our Father, others know it as the Lord's Prayer, but every single Sunday throughout these series, we have been praying the Lord's Prayer because it is the kingdom prayer. So what we're going to do now is we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together, and then you may be seated. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Now what we're going to do this morning is, we're actually going to do two things. The assigned text for this morning, we plan out the entire year of preaching, it's calendar. And for the sermon on this morning, we're going to be dealing, for this morning, we're going to be dealing with eye for an eye. But it's also which Sunday? It's Palm Sunday. So we're going to deal with both. And I stand in the humble theological position where I believe that the Sermon on the Mount is most clearly demonstrated in the last week of Jesus' life. The triumphal entry is part of that. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to begin by looking at the Sermon on the Mount and we're going to end by dealing with Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. So our reading for this morning is taken from Matthew 5, 38 through 48. Jesus, again, is casting a vision for his kingdom. And what we've dealt with over the past several weeks are delightful topics like anger, lust and divorce, oaths, and now eye for an eye. Jesus is building a very clear case for what it looks like to live in his kingdom. And so we're going to pick up our reading in Matthew 5, 38 through 48, and we're going to read together and then jump in. So here's what the text says. You have heard that it was said, again, Jesus speaking, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Just touch your eye and your teeth real quick. Most of you have them. Let's read on. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, 
and over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one I ask and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And for the first time ever in antiquity, the following phrase is said. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So what we have now is Jesus is again building his case for his kingdom and what it looks like to live in it. And then we hit this phrase that is found in the Older Testament. Eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. What you may not be aware of, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is a Jewish law that limits retribution and revenge and retaliation. It limits it. In other words, you can read stories in the Older Testament where someone has something happen to them, and then they go in and kill an entire village. They just wipe it out. And God says no. In his economy, the offense has to be similar to the retribution or revenge or retaliation or punishment. So picture it again. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth means that when you take revenge or you exact justice, you do it in equal proportion to the offense. Now, at the time of Jesus, though, this is being read more along the lines of get revenge. It doesn't mean you have to get revenge or retaliation or retribution, but if you do, you're to limit it. But at the time of Jesus, this was being utilized always for revenge. And so Jesus gets up and he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. Martin Luther King was right. If you live like this, we will all end up blind and toothless. Think about it. And so Jesus is now ushering in a new kingdom. And in his new kingdom, he is saying, I'm going to show you a different way to do life. You're going to live very differently than the kingdoms of this world. In my kingdom, here's what I want you to do. And we read several examples. I want to go over them very briefly, and then we're going to deal with the triumphal entry. Jesus says, if you are out and about and someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Someone strikes you on which cheek? Put your finger on your right cheek. All right, where's Thomas? Thomas is in here, one of the wrestling coaches. Come on up here, Thomas. Keep your finger on your cheek. This is so you don't get confused about which cheek. Thomas, come on up here. Everyone say good morning, Thomas. This is not doubting Thomas. This is Thomas, the wrestling coach at UVA. So Thomas and I have served quite a bit together, and I found out he's always wanted to hit me. And so I'm going to give him the opportunity in the kingdom of God to do that. So anyway, here's Thomas. Thomas is actually an extremely good wrestler. He wrestled for App State. We'll leave all of that as distant history. Now UVA is where you're a fan. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. So now, in the ancient world, all authority is done with your right hand. All authority, always the right hand. So Thomas, in order to hit me on the right cheek with your right hand, what do you need to do? You'd turn and you would backhand me. All right. 
Try it again. Just kidding. <laughs> he looks a little too excited, doesn't he? All right, go get seated. This is going to get painful. So go get seated. So just picture that. So if Thomas walks up to me in a crowd and he hits me on the right cheek, what does that do to me? It's humiliating. The idea of being struck on the right cheek means that you're in a setting where someone comes up and slaps you. It's a way of putting you down and treating you as though you're unhuman. That's the purpose of it. So what does Jesus say? If someone walks up, by the way, this is what someone in an authority would do to a slave or a servant that didn't do the right thing. They'd slap them in public to shame and humiliate them. And Jesus says, what do you do if someone does that to you? What do you say? Turn the other one. In other words, you respond in a way that is completely upside down and countercultural. You don't respond the way anyone else would because you're in my kingdom. And then he goes on to say, for his next example, if someone comes up to sue you for your shirt. By the way, in the ancient world, you had basically two layers of clothing. You had a shirt or an undergarment, and then you had your cloak or your coat. That's what you slept in. That's what you covered yourself with. That's what you used to remain comfortable. And by the way, if someone's suing you for your shirt, it means you have nothing left. All of your possessions have been taken. You are down to two articles of possession, your shirt and your coat. And what does Jesus say? If someone sues you for your shirt, you take off your coat, which means you are standing naked and you hand it to them. What Jesus is doing in his kingdom is a way without anger or hatred of your enemy to show a new way of doing life. And the goal is, is that maybe the person that just slapped you across the face will see the error of their way. And they will repent and join the kingdom. And if someone comes to sue you, then you stand naked next to them. And it's a sign of the injustice with the hope that they will see how vile they've become. And then Jesus goes on to say, if someone forces you to walk with them a mile, willingly go with them another mile. You see, in the ancient world, by law, a Roman soldier could come up, put a spear in your throat, and force you and publicly humiliate you by making you carry his weapons of warfare in his armor. And so what would happen is a Roman would walk up, let's say, to a Jewish person, put a sword in their throat, and say, carry my pack. My... So can you imagine you're the father, and they do this in front of your family? And you take the coat, or you take the armor and the spear, and you carry it in front of your family. And Jesus says at the end of the mile, when he turns to take it back, oh, no, 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 now I want to serve you. I'm going to take it another mile. And what Jesus begins to talk about and what he's modeling is that there's a new kingdom in this world that functions completely different than the kingdoms of this world. It's his kingdom. It's called the kingdom of God. So Jesus now 
calls this out to the people that are in the crowd. He calls it out to us too. And now what I want us to do is to keep this in the back of our mind, and now let's look at the triumphal entry. The triumphal entry has everything to do with Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday where the church around the world gathers together and remembers again Jesus' kingly march into Jerusalem. But with what we just heard about in the back of our minds and the call of his kingdom, remember, Jesus went on the side of a hill and cast a vision for his kingdom. And the rest of the gospel is what does it look like to walk that out. So here we have Jesus. He is now heading into the city. And we know it is the triumphal entry. Now, what we need to know about the triumphal entry, it was a Roman practice that conquering generals would do in order to show their dominance over the people that they had defeated. So how it would work is a Roman general had to have the permission of Rome to do this. Once they received permission, what they would do is they would either ride in a chariot or on a white stallion And in front of them were all the people that they had conquered. Those people would be chained together, and as they entered into the city, they would be killed. That's how it worked. The Roman general would be in a chariot or on a white horse, and behind him would be his troops cheering him on and praising his name. It's interesting to note, there's a little sideways piece of uh, kind of historical literature that says that while the general is in his chariot, there is a slave in the chariot whispering in his ear, you are not a god. You are human. Because the triumphal entry was so intoxicating and so pride-filling for that general that someone had to remind him of his humanity. Isn't that amazing? And so what I've done this morning is I've got a few pictures for us to look at. The first picture is the Arch of Titus that is right outside the Roman Forum. It's right outside. Next picture. This is a picture of Titus. So this arch was made in his honor soon after his death. Titus actually is also known as Vespasian. And Vespasian is the one that destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Now, this arch is right outside the forum in Rome. If you look at the next, here's one of the plaques that's chiseled out of that arch. And what do you see in that? Do you see the menorah? Do you catch that? So what ended up happening was when Vespasian attacked Rome in AD 70, he took everything out of the temple, all the valuable stuff, and he took it back to Rome and they sold it and they used the money to build Roman projects. And so in that arc, or in the arch, the triumphal arch, what you have is this permanent commemoration of the looting of the Jewish people. It's fascinating, isn't it? Now, what I want us to do next is I want us to think about Jesus' triumphal entry. By the way, Just so you know, many biblical historians believe, we know Jesus enters through the East Gate, the Golden Gate or the East Gate. Many biblical scholars believe that earlier that same day, King Herod had had his triumphal entry into the Western Gate. 
So they've already had a triumphal entry. Herod shows up. It's the Passover feast. Jerusalem is swollen by hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims. They're there for the Passover, which is a commemoration of throwing off the bonds of a foreign empire. And so Herod would have come in in a chariot with all of his soldiers or riding on a white stallion to let anyone know, if you get out of line, we're going to crush you. So he comes in through the western gate. Again, many biblical historians believe that he came in that earlier that morning. Now let's read Jesus's. John 12, 12 through 19. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. The next day, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seating on a donkey's colt, Zechariah 9.9. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Can you imagine how excited they are? Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The other Gospels tell us that when Jesus enters into the ancient city, he goes to the temple and he overturns the money changers' tables and he drives people off the temple mount. But the text is also clear to tell us that while Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, those that are cheering for him are those that have been involved and knew about the raising of Lazarus from the dead, but also a bunch of children. Little kids are running, going, Hosanna, the king of Israel. Now, how do we put feet to our faith with this? We put feet to our faith by pretending like you're on the wall of Jerusalem. King Herod has come in the western gate earlier that day. You know the king is already in the palace sitting on his throne, and he came with military might and dominance to let you know, if you get out of line, we're going to crush you. And then you hear another, another triumphal entry is coming. You go up on the wall and you look over the edge and what you see is no better than pathetic. You look over the edge and you see no soldiers, no spears, no stallion, no chariot. And instead of trumpets, there are little children running ahead, saying, Hosanna, save us. And you look down and you can't even find the king. And then you spot him. There's no crown, no royal clothing. What you see is a rabbi on the foal of a donkey. And that little thing is struggling to get him up that steep road to the eastern gate. And you look over the wall, and you hear people cheering, this is the king of Israel. And instead of people being plowed out of his way, anyone can go up and touch him. 
anyone. No one is excluded. If you want to come up to Israel's king, you can come up to him. And Jesus, when he enters the city, doesn't go to the palace. He goes to the temple. Why? His kingdom is spiritual. It's not political. It's not military. It's spiritual. And what the text tells us as we think about Jesus, is that it's very intentional he is riding on the foal of a donkey. If you were to read earlier, he actually told his disciples to go and get that foal. And he tells them, just go get it, and if the owner asks you, what are you going to do with it, just say, the Lord needs it. So picture Jesus has literally set up this scene intentionally. And here's why. Because Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12, as Zechariah is prophetically looking into the future from the Older Testament into the newer, here's what Zechariah writes from his vision. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey, he will proclaim peace to the nations. And then God says, through this king, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit and return your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Look at what God promises through this king. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will free the prisoners from the waterless pit. And he will return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. You see, the idea is, is that God's king is now walking into Jerusalem. And don't kid yourself, he looks nothing like a king. He's humble, and he's gentle, and he's kind. He's like no other king that has ever, ever sat on a throne. And Zechariah sees him. And instead of bringing more war and power and destruction, this king is going to bring peace to those who can't find it. This king is actually going to free up people who are in prison. Not only that, if you're a prisoner of hope, here's your king. And what is a prisoner of hope? You're not a prisoner of hope. Hope is what makes prison bearable. So in the Hebrew, the context is you're actually a person who feels totally imprisoned because hope is never reaching you. And so here Jesus goes from the Sermon on the Mount to where he is now walking out his kingdom, literally. Jesus is now ushering in a kingdom of which he is the king. And he says, anyone can touch me. If you try to get near Herod, they're going to take you out. But this king welcomes anyone. You want to join the kingdom or join the parade? Please come. Anyone is welcome. And not only that, he's going to be the king for all nations. Anyone who wants to come from any nation can come. And if you know yourself that you feel like you're in a prison, he's for you. 
And what's amazing to take note is we live in the freest country that has ever been on planet Earth. And yet people will talk about not feeling free. That's the cool thing about his kingdom. It's a spiritual one. It can cross boundaries and borders. People right now in the least free countries in the world have found freedom through him. The question is, is will the triumphal entry touch me? Will it touch me? Will I by faith open myself up to this king? Let's stand together as we close. As we stand together, we could close our eyes just for a moment. The triumphal entry is about Jesus becoming king. If you don't know him, you've never made the choice to follow him or step into his kingdom. I would encourage you as we close our eyes and then take a moment to worship that you would ask Jesus for a triumphal entry into your heart. If you're weary and tired of living as a citizen of the kingdoms of this world, there's a new kingdom and a new king. 